0: You're listening to the Reconciling Hope Podcast, where the leadership team of Gospel Hope Church discusses how the Bible transforms our beliefs, actions, and impacts our relationship with God and with others. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Reconciling Hope Podcast. And uh, we got once again uh, Pastor Rod Dewberry and myself, Ryan McCammick, here to talk about um, our sermon series called It's Complicated where we've been walking through the life of David. And this week, uh, we got into kind of this unusual uh, three-way relationship between David, Jonathan, and Saul, and how we see that, that there's examples and lessons to be learned from all of them. And ultimately, uh, Jonathan, as we'll see here as this discussion goes on, points us to Jesus and how we need a a better mediator so uh, let me start out with this question rod as we get rolling here today um why do you think it is so difficult for us to rejoice when we see god working in other people's lives so to set the story there a little bit this is the text that we looked at where um the israelites come back victorious over the philistines and the people of the town are basically throwing a huge ticker tape parade and singing the song. Saul has slain his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. And from that day forward, it seems like their relationship just spiraled down. Saul could not rejoice in what God was doing for in David. So why do you think that's hard for us to do?
1: You know what? Uh, I think it goes all the way back to... I almost said the Garden of Eden, but no, Cain and Abel, so just outside, right? Um, If you remember what happened there, you had one brother whose work was approved and another who was not, and it resulted in a homicide, unfortunately. I believe that that story, both combined with this one, tells us that fundamentally, we tie identity to performance. And because we still, a part of our fallen nature ties identity and personal value to performance... Uh, it also ties identity to approval. And so it's hard to rejoice when we see God at work within the with in the lives of others when we don't feel like we're getting that same level of approval. Therefore, in the lives of, you know, Saul and David, you know, Saul saw that as God's approval on the life of David and his non-approval on his, and it incited the same kind of rage that we saw between Cain and Abel. And we still have that kind of echoing in the culture today. I mean, I would have bet that, the, I'd be willing to bet my bottom dollar that the circumstances emotionally would have been different if the song had of, uh had less of, would have had less of a, a what do you want to call it? Uh, I don't know, uh, you know, less the of severity? a- You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Saul has his 999 or <laughs> actually that'd be lower, but you know, 9,099 or, or maybe they had assigned to him some other um level of acclaim but we still tie our identity to our performance and we and therefore we also tie our our pride to people's approval and um when we see people flourishing as we define flourishing we view that as approval of them and by silence i guess non approval of us yeah yeah
0: now um certainly put put yourself in Saul's shoes for just a minute mm-hmm. man if you would have heard that song as the king and leader of Israel and a warrior uh, no yeah. doubt you would have been very tempted to jealousy just just as Saul was uh, yeah. what what do you think would be a a godly response if somebody says hey this person's doing better than you or god's more at work in this person's life than he is at your work or there's more fruitfulness here. What is a godly response when we see God working in someone else in a way he's not working in us?
1: You know what? I fast forward to the New Testament and I think about two things. I think about Jesus's story of the talents. And you had one brother who was given one, another was three, and another was five. And Jesus said something very important about the reason that the landowner or the merchant gave them uh, those amounts. He said that it was he gave it or distributed it based on their several abilities. In other words, the amount that they were able to reproduce in the market was a suggestion of their capacity, and so they were held accountable for delivering in their own space. And so, I think the godly response when I see someone else uh, numerically flourishing better than me is to say, "Okay, God." You believe I'm a, you know, I'm a 100K guy, not a $100 million guy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I accept that. I fast forward to Paul's own words when he when he talks about the Lord's unique distribution of the gifts. Do we all prophesy? No. Are we all apostles? No. And he said, you know, for the person that has this gift, wait on this or wait on that, that the Lord has distributed into our lives a grace that is specific to one his understanding of our capacity and two, how he wants to get glory from our lives. And what Mm -hmm. I think we should remind ourselves of is that the amount of glory and pleasure that God takes from the life of a person who performs well or stewards well, I don't believe that the amount of glory or pleasure that God gains from us is different. It's just God uh, distributing to us uh, differing amounts of opportunity based on what he views as our capacity. and. and I praise God for that, that he wouldn't allow, he wouldn't give me more than what I can effectively handle. And I essentially embarrass myself. Um, and so I believe that's how we have to comfort ourselves when we look out from behind these eyes and say, Lord, why not me? I wish that was me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. In one sense, I think we should be more about Christ's kingdom than our particular role in Christ's kingdom. You know, I think of the story of John the Baptist. And so John had this big following, and, and then they start going to Jesus, and people are like, "Hey, man, doesn't this bother you?" And John says, very humbly and wisely, "He must increase, and I must decrease." And um man, that that just struck me. I was thinking about that passage when you were talking about, man, that would have been a godly way for Saul Saul to respond. Obviously, John the Baptist is talking about the Lord himself, but man, when God chooses to work through someone else, humility says, Man, I can rejoice that God is working, not just when God is working through me. Um, man, that was a salient point. And if you had, didn't listen to the message, that was a powerful illustration. Rod even showed some of his uh, vocal skills off in the sermon on Sunday. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. For those who were listening, uh, who were watching online, uh, obviously you'll need to go back and listen to the podcast if you want to hear my my uh, again my melodic presentation.
0: <laughs> Great. So. Let's get into Jonathan a little bit here, who's a, who's a key f- figure in this passage of scripture. A- and risk. you said uh, very insightfully that Jonathan put himself in a position of risk several mm-hmm. times during the story, uh, risking his relationship with his father, uh, risking his relationship with David, even like he just was constantly in this position of risk. Yeah. How do we know when risk is right? How would yeah. you answer that question?
1: Yeah, not to be overly simplistic. I remember Paul's words there in Romans, like, let God be true and every man be a liar. Uh, you know, I believe that to be a defender of God's glory, and I want to be careful about that because God doesn't need us to be his attorneys or his defense team, right? But I believe if we would commit ourselves to defend what is right, if, if, if it's making God look good, uh, I believe we can be confident in what we're doing. And allow him to pick up the pieces if there's some shattered glass. That's not an invite or call to live recklessly or like some kind of zealous vigilante, so to speak. Um, But it is a call to trust that, man, if our chief aim is really to honor God and not just to exercise our own zeal, that, man, that the Lord would help us manage some of the repercussions in our our other relationships. I think that's Mm -hmm. one. Upward. Am I making God look good? And then the other is, am I serving my brother the same way that I would serve myself? Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, you can't get away from that, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then to love my neighbor as myself, because the scriptures did say that um, Jonathan loved David the way he loved his own soul. And mm-hmm. I, you, you look at that, you can even see that motif playing out in the life of Jesus, right, where he was prepared to shoulder disfavor, with a lot of powerful people in order to serve others uh, the way that, or to love others the way that he would be loved, uh, or or that he, that he would want to love others the way that he loves himself. So I think if you're desiring to honor God, or you are actually honoring God, not putting on a religious show, and actually serving others the way you would serve yourself, I believe that any collateral damage, if you can even call it that, we can trust that God would manage that risk. Mm.
0: Mm. So uh, and a follow up to that, um, you know, we live in our culture right now. I mean, in the United States, we are very divided yeah. and, um, you pointed out that Jonathan stepped into these risky situations and was kind of a mediator. Um, and you said, you know, believers need to sometimes do that. They need to step into these divisive situations mm-hmm. and and really be peacemakers, really be reconcilers, um, standing for righteousness, but pursuing reconciliation. Why do you think in our culture right now that is so critical for us to follow the example that Jonathan and ultimately Jesus set for us?
1: Uh, Not to go too long on this. One of the things that's happening today is there is a lot of group identification. A lot of group identification. In other words, if you are a part of this group, then you must think monolithically like this. Mm-hmm. If you are a Republican, if you are a Democrat, if you are Black, if you are white, if you are urban, if you are suburban, if you fall somewhere on this socioeconomic strata, you now belong to this group. And mm-hmm. you must think like this without any nuance or variation. If you are reformed, right? If you are... Uh, Pick your pick your group. Right. You've got to fall within these distinct buckets of thought. And I believe it is so paramount today that we be more discerning than that. And, you know, when something comes across our desk from a social media perspective or something comes across our desk, that regardless of how it may make us look to uh, um, uh, to 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 choose what it's and defend what is right, even if it makes us look wrong according to our prototypical group identification, whether that mm. was, man, I always love to side with the females. I love to always side with black folks. I love to always side with Republicans. I love to always side with this aspect of what it means to be democratic, or whatever your your thing is. Um, you know, I think we have to choose what is right, regardless of what other social identifiers we might wrinkle. Uh, in the process. And that is super critical right now, because Mm -hmm. everyone is looking for a way to size us up so that they can just kind of bundle us into a group and say, well, okay, you belong to that party. Now I know everything that you think. And when I say party, I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about all those other social identifiers that I just mentioned. It's super critical right now um, to demonstrate that there are more than two choices in the world uh, when it comes to uh, the many multifaceted and complicated issues that we're mm-hmm. being confronted
0: with yeah that's good yeah. so i think you even said in the in the message that as believers um our allegiance we need to be citizens of a different kingdom yeah. and um that should come up all the time our values are not quite in lockstep with any other kind of group think but yeah. we our allegiance is fundamentally to christ and that calls yeah for a high degree of discernment so rod at gospel hope we talk about that we want people growing in their relationship with God with one another as believers, and then with the world. As you thought about this mm-hmm. particular message and this passage, which relationships did this really encourage you to grow in?
1: Man, grown in my relationship with my fellow man. Um, mm-hmm. I think this really, or just uh, kind of uh, with each other, right? Um, which may sound odd, because I think there was just some heavy competition here. Um, because I think we have such a wonderful opportunity to be uh, stewards of this, um, um, this role of a mediator in culture right now, right? Mm-hmm. When you talk about divisiveness, um, how do we effectively broker for uh, uh, reconciliation? And that's just a role of a mediator. And, and so in order to do that, man, I got to grow in relationship with my fellow man. I can't immediately put people in buckets. I need to love them holistically, even when I disagree with them vehemently. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to uh, pursue understanding them even though i think i may have them figured out and that kind of vestment, investment being fully vested in understanding my brother or sister or fully understanding the situation of folks that are outside the body of christ so that i know how to effectively pray i know how to share the gospel with the right emphasis and, and all these different things i i think i got to grow my relationship with my uh with grow my relationship with one another Mm. And and as you kind of heard me allude to growing my relationship with the world too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. good. So, and our, our vision at Gospel Hope is display the reconciling hope of the gospel. And um, how do you think this passage, and particularly Jonathan? I mean, you did a beautiful job of unpacking that, yeah. um, displays the reconciling hope that we have in Christ.
1: Man, you're talking about some fourth down and inches, uh, with with five seconds or so whatever left on the clock, pick your pick your last minute analogy of choice. I'm sitting there looking at the text and I'm like, what is going on with Jonathan? And this putting his robe and his sword, yeah. and bow, and what is this? And I was like, this this is man, this is the prototypical mediator, but beautifully I mean Jonathan did his best, but Jesus did it better, right? Mm-hmm. Um in modeling what it means to 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 intercede because he went to task with his dad right mm-hmm. and here's why i struggle with that too because in order to see Jonathan as a type of christ in mediation it almost had made me want to see saul as a type of the father which i struggle mm-hmm. with because saul is such a you know nasty character in the way he's acting mm-hmm. but he was filled with wrath toward david and you know what god has wrath toward the unbeliever. And Mm -hmm. and it is it is it is only per the intercession of his son, the imputation of his son, changing our status, making us a member of the royal priesthood the way Jonathan did toward David. uh, And then intercepting the wrath of the father coming in between us and the father to say, no, I'll take this on as opposed to letting you fall in harm's way. The way Jonathan did that just beautifully depicted the work of our savior as an intercessor and as an intercessor between us and God. Not mm. just a, a random negotiator, but truly one who was fully invested, right? And so yeah. um, that—that's where that's that, that reconciling hope, and that—that's that, the hope for that kind of reconciliation. Man, it's only in Christ. I don't know mm-hmm. of a human being who can truly stand as a as a as a go between the way Christ did. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I've, I've you know imputation is not new to me, intercession is not new to me. Jesus died on the cross for my, for my sins, absorbing the wrath of the Father, none of those themes are new to me. But when I looked at Jonathan's best effort, which was nothing in comparison to Christ, uh, that whole idea of him being fully human and fu- fully God and fully man, now I saw that with fresh appreciation. Uh, mm-hmm. and, 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 and again, why we have to have Jesus as our reconciling hope. Yeah, yeah. And,
0: Yeah. If you guys didn't listen to the message, go out and listen. And if you don't have time for the whole thing, go down there to the end where uh, Rod points us to Jonathan as kind of the type of Christ in this passage. And what what an encouragement to see that Jesus has done all that is necessary so that we can have hope for a relationship with God. I mean, a beautiful, um, yeah. Prefigure of Jesus in the Old Testament there. So, hey, brother, thanks again for preaching the word faithfully for us. I, I hope, uh, I know you were encouraged by it personally, and I know the folks that were listening were encouraged as well. Um, let's be continue to strive to be people who are pursuing reconciliation vertically and reconciliation horizontally with our neighbor. So looking forward to joining you all next week as we look at how David interacted where Saul really becomes his enemy now and how he he uh, even tries to negotiate this situation where he has a corrupt authority uh, over him. Um, how do we interact when we're suffering injustice in the world? So uh, hopefully you'll join us this next Sunday. Thanks for tuning in. Look forward to hearing from you guys again soon. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Reconciling Hope podcast. Be sure to subscribe for future content on podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Gospel Hope Church is located in Atlanta, Georgia, with the mission of making disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission. If you're interested in learning more, tune into our Facebook Live services, Sundays at 11 a.m., or check out gospelhopechurch.com.